From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. Hi there, this is Sean Doran, fire captain and PIO. Today we're here to introduce something a little bit new. It's going to be an audio version of our Ask the Chief segment we usually show online. So whether you choose to listen to it here on the podcast or watch it online, we want to make sure to let you know it's out there in both versions, and we're excited to make this a regular thing going forward. So without further ado, here's Fire Chief Brian Fennessy. All right, well, hey, welcome back to Ask the Chief. Uh, we're here in November, and there's a whole bunch of uh, new questions for me. So. Uh, Captain Wynn, I'm, I'm all yours. Okay, great. Well, uh, so first question that we've got for you is, is there any update on taking the encryption off of the 800 radios? You know, I don't know if it's much of an update, but uh, for those of you that are unaware of, of how we got our radios encrypted, it might be uh, good to give you a little background. Um, when I got here, apparently, uh, before I got here, the fire chiefs making up the fire chiefs association had agreed to encrypt all of uh, FIRE's radio channels on the 800 megahertz system in response to a active shooter in San Bernardino at that time. And uh, I was unaware and didn't really understand that they were going to do this until just prior to it occurring. And in fact, it was a visit at a LA um, news station where one of the, uh, oh gosh, who is it, the, uh, the, the managers there asked us why we were going to encrypt our radios and how valuable it was to them to be able to track and follow what we're doing. And I had no idea we were doing that. Came back and started asking those same questions and was assured that what an issue, that if we didn't want to be encrypted at some point, it was a flip of a switch, everything would be fine. Uh, we had those assurances as well from uh, Sheriff's Communications, who's in charge of the county system. And uh, regrettably, we just kind of went along with it. It wasn't the first day before we started having problems with encryption. We immediately requested to throw that switch they talked about and found out that it really wasn't um, as easy as that. And so over time, what we've learned, and, and again, in working with Sheriff Communications, is that the next opportunity we have now to de-encrypt, if that's actually a, a word, um, will be the next time that the, uh, the uh, channel changes, the fleet map changes. And so I'm hearing that that might be within the next, anywhere from several months to the next year. As I understand it, what has to occur is that every radio in the county has to be touched, not just fire, not just law enforcement, but you're talking parks and, I mean, you're talking every radio that's on the system. So it's a major endeavor. To do so before then would cost the agency hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to do. So we're patiently or impatiently maybe uh, waiting for that to, to occur. So we will, we will de-encrypt at some point. We will have some encrypted channels on the radio so that if we do have to uh, engage with law enforcement on an incident that you know needs to be radio silence we'll have that ability but uh, regrettably um, you know we went in that direction it wasn't as as quick a fix as we thought and here we sit you know two years plus later waiting for that change so that that's kind of the history of it uh, we're still very much interested in, in uh, uh, discontinuing the encryption yeah 
And then just to make it clear, it's just the 800 radio that's encrypted. It is just the 800 radios. Uh, you know, there is a need that, uh, not just a media need, and, and I know you're, you're familiar with that, but we have people living in the canyons and others that apparently rely upon uh, these communications. So um, I feel comfortable in, again, doing away with the encryption, knowing that we do have encrypted channels, and if we do need to engage in a uh, law enforcement related incident, that we that our communications can be uh, encrypted. But um, it's coming, we just got to be a little, little more patient. Okay, all right. All right, so next question. As an experienced reserve firefighter with the OCFA and a desire to become a full-time firefighter, would there be opportunities for you to consider an OCFA Reserve Firefighter Academy to hire for a career entry-level firefighter? So if I understand the question correctly, I guess it's asking, uh, someone is asking if they graduate the OCFA Reserve Academy, would that be enough to enter into our, our uh, mainstream academy? At least that's yes. the way I'm, I'm that's, that's Yeah, that's the way you it know, reads. I'm not uh, obviously you know, the HR director, but I, I find that idea somewhat problematic. I mean, we have a process and a system in place um, for not just, you know, firefighter paramedic laterals, but for, you know, single role EMT, however we want to call it, basic, you know, 16 week fire academy to do something other than, um, I would say there'd have to be a need for us to want to do that. And, and I don't really see the need right now. Um, we hire a lot of, of our firefighters into the academies that have spent time as reserves. I know that our interview panels, you know, when they're interviewing candidates, they mark them very highly because I see the, the results of those uh, interviews. Somebody that's been a reserve for this organization, and especially one that's been a, a reserve for any length of time, has demonstrated their loyalty and commitment to really wanting to be here and to spend a career here at OCFA. And so, you know, when I get an opportunity to interview those people, uh, trust me, it's not lost on me. And when, you're, and when you're comparing all the candidates coming in who by and large, by the time I see them are, are mostly equals, somebody stands out that has been an OCFA reserve. Again, especially one that's been a reserve for a long time. That is something that, you know, I find, you know, highly desirable as do our panels. So, I would say that um, I wouldn't look for any change in that anytime soon, but know that if you are a reserve with this organization, um, that service is looked upon very favorably when you're going through this process. Okay. All right, so the next one is related to the staffing. The, the overbearing issue with staffing seems to be open positions. If that's the case, um, then why are we continuing with the same rate of hiring and promotions? And then the second part of that question is, can we facilitate increased rate of hiring for firefighters and increase the rate of promotional exams uh, and or running multiple academies and, and promotionals uh, concurrently? Well, you know, it's been uh, probably a couple months since we've done one of these Ask the Chiefs, so my sense is that's probably an older question because we're doing exactly that. Um, we've got, in fact, we're going through the, uh, uh, the process right now where we're going to be hiring two lateral firefighter paramedic academies that will be lined up back to back. The first one, we're looking at 50 you know, firefighter paramedic candidates going through the first academy starting in February. Immediately after that eight week academy, 
the next 50 firefighter paramedics will start. If everybody was successful through the process, that'll provide us 100 firefighter paramedics into the system. And we're still counting on a, at this point, a 16-week academy in August in 2022. So we have increased the number of candidates that we're, we're looking at and that we're looking at hiring. Um, the vacancies, a lot of the vacancies right now are being caused by, you know, the increase in workers, those out on workers' comp. We have over 40 fire captains out right now on workers' comp less engineers and probably less at the firefighter rank, but uh, whether it be COVID, just the nature of the, the job that it is, this is hard on our bodies, it's hard on our minds. Um, you know, we and a, a many other organizations, especially the large metros, are seeing an uptick in workers' comp claims. And so uh, we're working feverishly to, to, to get people in position, um, the promotions, I believe we're going to have two captain's academies uh, this year, so uh, we know that the, the captains right now are the ones being forced more often than others, and so we're addressing those. I think once we get you know, enough firefighters and firefighter paramedics in the door and the promotion's done, we're close. Uh, we sense that there will be some relief. You know, with every acad the academy behind me will provide some relief. The first eight-week firefighter paramedic lateral academy, when it graduates, will provide even more relief than the one after that. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we've got the holidays to get through. That's always a difficult time uh, on families and the force hiring. Um, but we will get through it. This, this organization is resilient. I mean, in the, in the nearly four years I've been here, I've seen this organization uh, bounce back for some pretty tough pretty tough things that, that have hit it. And uh, this is just another one. It's a big one. It's the one we're focused on most, but we will get through this. And so uh, I encourage everybody to keep the faith, try to stay positive and optimistic and know that uh, all of us, whether you're you know, with the bargaining units, with the labor organizations, or, or you're on the executive staff side, we're all pulling together to, to, to get this behind us. This one is uh, from Captain Lockwood out at Fire Station 43. Um, can you please provide an answer to what is being done to fill the captain openings? It's a great question. I appreciate it, Captain Lockwood. Um, as previously mentioned, we are, at least right now, looking at at least two uh, captain's academies. We've got another, uh, well, one of the things that we're finding is, you know, with the turnover in the organization, you know, we've had over 500 uh, firefighters hired just in the last five years. So we've got a lot of uh, transition and, and succession taking place. And we're getting to a point where to meet the minimum requirements to take the captain's exam, we've got a large pool of people now at the firefighter and apparatus operator uh, classification that don't meet those minimum requirements. And so at some point you've got this group that needs the five years to be able to sit for the exam. And this upcoming exam is a great example. I believe we have three that are three weeks short of hitting that five-year mark where they can take the exam. And so we're working with uh, Local 3631 and working to get a side letter to the MOU that will allow uh, these individuals that are that close to sit for the exam 
By the time the exam's over and we're ready, they're probably close to, if not hitting that five-year mark, being able to push them over the line. You see that as kind of an issue in the future, because again, as we're hiring and hiring the, this group, it takes time to get five, well, it takes five years to get five years on the job. And at some point, as we're retiring others out, it creates these vacancies. And if this group doesn't meet that five-year or hit that five-year mark, this may have to change in the future. So there's going to be more discussion about that, but it's not, it's not all that unusual for large organizations, uh, fire service organizations right now. Uh, we're all looking at you know, adjusting some of our legacy uh, requirements and, and working with our unions to do what, is, what maybe makes common sense and to get the right people that are prepared to lead at a higher level into that window into the exam, into the academies, and to promote them. Why five years is the, you know, is the special number? Nobody here knows why. In some locations, some other departments, it's less. Some others, it's more. Um, so we really got to look at that. Is five years really make sense? Does it need to be something shorter? With other enhancements, does it need to be longer? I, I don't have the answer but I see that as being an issue in the future unless we address it. So I appreciate Local 3631 sitting down with us and, and talking about the side letter and, and uh, working through this with us. Mm -hmm. Definitely a lot that goes into it. Huh? There's a lot that goes into it. I, I mean, I, I learned something nearly every day just sitting there listening to, uh, to Chief Black uh, with training and, and uh, our HR director, Stephanie Holloman. I mean, it's, there's a lot that goes into promotions, hiring, and it's so fluid right now. Um, we've made a number of adjustments. The academy behind us, they started several weeks ago, it was gonna be a 16-week academy. Uh, we recognized pretty quickly that we needed to do something to get some relief out to the, the, the uh, floor, and so they're gonna graduate early. At the same time, we're looking, how do we pump more firefighter paramedics in the system? So. Um, I've said it before, good, good organizations, great organizations, we evolve, we tweak, we're, we're always looking at continued improvement. And if we've got to adjust, it's not a sign of, of chaos or disorganization, no. It's, it's, it's a sign of an organization um, being quick to pivot, tweak, to try to get the most out of a, a process. That's our world now. Um, it's not like it was when you and I started years ago. Um, we got to be nimble. Um, we've got to be uh, flexible, and we got to execute, and I think we're doing that. Okay, thank you. All right, so this one relates to the OES rigs that we re put in the service recently. Why did you agree to bring an OES patrol strike team to our organization? And then second part is, secondly, with our current staffing shortage crisis, how come we still have these OES patrols? A two-parter. Um, you know, OES, I'll go back a little bit. In the 2003, we had some um, pretty significant fires, big fires here in Orange County, LA, San Bernardino, San Diego counties. And out of those firestorms arose this uh, Blue Ribbon Commission that Senator Feinstein at the time chaired. And uh, the fire chief here was a, Chip Prather was a member of that group, as were uh, many others. And one of the outcomes or findings was that, you know, there needed to be more apparatus available for firefighters to staff. At the time, there were more firefighters available than there were apparatus to staff. Kind of backwards now, right? It's kind of flip-flopped. And so 
that was one of the Blue Ribbon Commission's outcomes is that we needed to have this surge capacity. Not just agencies with their own red vehicles, but Cal OES providing agencies, you know, hundreds of, of vehicles. We're at the tail end of that. We're, we're 20 years later nearly, and apparatus are still being purchased by Cal OES, and they're still being pushed out to help support the state's mutual aid system. Uh, it's important that we and all fire agencies support the state's mutual aid system. Uh, we've seen the benefit of it. We saw it just last year. Uh, over the years, you know, we've seen it here in Orange County. We've contributed to it extensively. And so if there's an opportunity to continue to support the mutual aid system, we're going to do that. And we're not going to be in this situation that we are right now where staffing is, is critical. But we're going to get through this and we're going to be glad we have those to support, again, the mutual aid system and you know, leave our red engines behind and we'll, we'll use those, um, those green engines at Cal OES. We can use those engines in county as well. If we, we're not out of fire season. We have a fire you know, in the weeks to come, we can staff those up and we can use them in county. So we wanna continue to support the mutual aid system. Um, I will say that you know, because our staffing has been at critical levels, that uh, we actually did turn down uh, a request for those uh, type six engines. Um, a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, we received a request and I had to uh, personally call the Cal OES director, the uh, fire and rescue branch uh, chief and say, we're not gonna be able to, to fulfill this mission. We're critically low personnel and, and first and foremost is the staffing of our own fire stations. Um, I was disappointed that we couldn't, but it was an easy decision. There was no way we were going to compromise um, that level of safety and, you know, the health of our firefighters. That's happening more and more. Cal OES understands that. They too hope that all of the agencies that, you know, have been given these apparatus, staffing will get better and, and they know this is a temporary situation and that uh, uh, agencies will be able to fulfill those Cal OES uh, uh, requirements. What was the second part of that question? This, I think you touched on it. Secondly, with the current uh, staffing shortage crisis, how come we still have the OES patrols? So you, you touched on that. So pretty much when a request comes in, it's just not an automatic that we're going to launch. It's not an automatic. It, it used to be, you know, the division chiefs have, it's like standing orders, right, if you're a medic. They have, I think, in the past, uh, two strike teams, any type, any color, out the door. Because staffing has become you know, such a critical issue, there's a lot more discussion now about, you know, what goes out. It may not be two strike teams if we have a lot of single resources out or IMT members out or we have a USAR deployment or we're up at the top of the list for, uh, you know, the Task Force 5. And so there's a lot of things that go into determining whether or not we're going to do that. But to your point, you're exactly right. It, it's not a automatic gimme anymore. I look forward to the day when it is, and I don't think we're far from that. I, I know I've repeated myself several times, but we're gonna get in front of this staffing, and we're gonna be able to return to providing much more to the system. Yeah, okay, thanks. Chief, this is our last question. When the OCFA takes over as a service provider for a contract city like Santa Ana or Garden Grove, and maybe soon to be Fullerton, uh, why do we not swap the Knoxbox key to the OCFA key? You know, it's a pretty, uh, seems like a pretty simple, straightforward question. And, and um, I had to ask the same thing as why not? What I've learned, because I did ask the question myself, 
is that we've got, I think, over 15,000 occupancies that um, have Knoxbox keys. About a third of those are Santa Ana and Garden Grove. And as I understand it, when there is a key, a keychain, um, keychain, a change of keys uh, being considered, there's a cost not only you know to the OCFA to do that, but to those businesses. And what turns into and a lot of coordination, it turns into a cost-benefit um, discussion. You know, for the high cost, the amount, the labor-intensive time it takes to go through the process and do that. For the few times where it really becomes an issue, it becomes more of an inconvenience, I think, for us. Um, it's just not there. Um, I didn't realize that either. It seemed, it seemed simple to me as well. But in talking with uh, community risk reduction and really to sat down and, and, and shared with me how that would have to work, it's complex. It takes time. There's a cost to it not just to us or the fire departments, but the businesses that have to switch those out. And so I can see now why um, we haven't done that in the past. Thank you. Well, that's, um, you know, it's always good stuff when we get questions from field personnel that relates to operations and how we can do things better, so. I couldn't that's, agree more. Yeah. Well, Tank, thank you uh, for being out here today and, and asking uh, all these great questions. I appreciate everything you and the other PIOs uh, do for the OCFA. I'm one of those once a day, I'll check social media just to see what's out there and, and I'm constantly impressed at you know, the quality of the, the information that you all are putting out there, whether it's fire prevention related or incident related, it's never too much, it's the right amount and I constantly get uh, great feedback from my peers from all over the state about our uh, what you all are doing. You're responding at night. Um, you do a lot of great work, so, so my hat's off to you. Um, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and a happy holidays. It's that time of year. Uh, spend as much time as you can with your families and, and treat each other well at the stations. And I look forward to seeing you all out there. We, we're going to continue to visit as many stations as we can and uh, I look forward to wishing you a happy holidays in person as well. So thank you. Thank you, Captain Wynn, and thank you, Chief Fennessy. We appreciate that. Uh, tune in next month. Chief Dossier will be back for his segment. Until then, we wish you a very happy and safe, fun Thanksgiving. Take care.